Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Today, Friday, September 27th, it's the last day to join Entree Architect Academy before the doors close. Come check it out. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. You're listening to Entree Architect Podcast, episode 138. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. A young architect finished his education and moved to a new town in a new state with one contact and a ton of ambition. The world was in the midst of an economic crisis and there were no jobs. Today's guest took on that challenge built his own business flipping ordinary ranch houses into modern architectural works of art, making a profit and getting noticed by the local newspapers with plans for success and intentional focus on building a brand and telling their story, their unique story. Today's guest shares the story of his firm, The Ranch Mine. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, Kevin Costello shares how to design and sell modern architecture as a small firm architect. 
This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. Kevin Costello, welcome to the Entree Architect podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great having you here. You are an architect based in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. firm, firm named The Ranch Mine. I'd love to get into the background on that. Um, you're a husband and wife team. You've designed beautiful homes and additions and alterations and that kind of stuff. But I think you're really most well known for your for your homes, your modern architecture. We can mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. Um, we've been following each other for a long time on social yep. media and and uh, Twitter and Facebook. Right? Probably Twitter is probably where we first bumped into each other. I think so. Yeah. Um, but um, more recently on Instagram. Yep. Uh, really good Instagram. We met and we actually physically met in mm-hmm. Atlanta at AIA convention. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Uh, that's why I go to those conventions, you know, to, <laughs> to bump into people like you. Yeah. I think uh, that's a great way to connect with other people in the profession and, and build those relationships. And and uh, and here we are talking yeah. about architecture and, and business. So let's, uh, let's start where we always start here, talking about your origin story. I'd love to know where you've come from, how you got to where you are, and where you plan on going in the future. Sure. Well, uh, big fan of the podcast. And thanks for having me on. And, yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm originally from uh, Connecticut, a small coastal town called Guilford. And um, I grew up with a pretty sort of traditional family structure. My dad worked uh, in sales and the energy business and was a trained civil engineer. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom that raised uh, myself and my older brother and younger sister. Um, and I guess getting into sort of how I first was introduced to architecture was my dad being a civil engineer designed and built the house that I grew up in and that they still live in today. Uh, actually when I was in the womb. So I guess, you know, my first construction visit was in, you know, in, in the womb. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, so- that right there, Kevin is the earliest <laughs> anyone's ever said that they've discovered architecture. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, early on, you know, we had a, a library in our house full of books on how to build your own house and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so it's pretty obvious where I initially got uh, my interest, but um, it wasn't a sort of continuous path, um, you know, probably from since I was five to in high school, I never really thought about architecture. Um, I was actually huge into um, sports growing up, um, played a bunch of sports. My dad loves sports, you know, after dinner every night on the weekends with my brother and my, my younger sister. And um, so that was a huge part of my life. I didn't really think about, you know, my future in terms of what I wanted to be really until um, high school uh, when you sort of have to. <laughs> right. um, so I was actually thinking about possibly going into engineering uh, just, you know, because my dad did it. And um I had a, a geometry teacher actually suggest that I should uh, look into architecture um, because I excelled at uh, math proofs, um, and she said that's a skill. You know, the deductive reasoning of that is is a popular skill that you know most architects have, and I should and I should look at it. And it sort of brought me back to my early childhood of of being interested in it. I thought, oh, you know, maybe that is an interesting way to go, but I was a bit tentative because I didn't take any art classes in high school. Um, was not really thought, didn't think of myself much as an artist. Um, and so I was, I was kind of questioning that, but decided to, to, to move forward with it. Um, so I went to school, uh, at a school called Northeastern University in Boston. Um, 
the reason I chose Northeastern was one, because you didn't need a portfolio to get in there because I didn't have an art portfolio. Um, and two, because it was a co-op school, uh, meaning that after your first year, you do six months of schooling and then six months of full-time employment at an architecture firm, ideally. Um, and so that was attractive to me to, um, to have that experience with the school and, and really figure out if it was something that I wanted to do uh, earlier on rather than later. Um, so I went there and had a really difficult first semester at school because um, this is all manual representation, models and drawing, and I hadn't done any of that since you know since I was in you know elementary school, um, uh, and really was considering quitting. Um, and then fortunately, I sort of you know my parents encouraged me you know to kind of stick it out. Um, up until that point, school had always been relatively easy for me. Um, and this was way outside my comfort zone. And so I stuck it out. And then the second semester was digital representation. Um, and I was very good with the computer, um, you know, growing up playing computer games and video games and all that kind of stuff. It was it was something that I just really enjoyed doing. And I was finally able to find that thing where I could represent what I wanted to do and my ideas. Kevin, what year did you start college? Sure. Uh, 2003. 2003. Okay. Just to yeah. sort of have context of yeah, so we our school was kind of on the transition between the manual and digital as a full-time thing. They don't even teach manual anymore, I don't believe. Uh, so our, our freshman class was kind of the first that did both, you know, digital and manual. Um, so we were kind of on that on the cusp of that. Um, so I went to school there, and like I said, you know, the co-op was something that attracted me there. So when I was 19, I got my first full-time job working at an architecture firm in my hometown, uh, husband and wife couple uh, who did residential architecture primarily. Um, and I would go in and work, you know, eight to five every single day with them for eight months straight, actually. Um, and it was fantastic. And up until that point, I had kind of looked at, you know, an early architecture school, you know, all the big buildings, the museums and the towers and that kind of stuff, and hadn't even considered really residential architecture as something I'd be interested in. But seeing, being, having that experience and going to homeowners' homes and and seeing the, the sort of relationship between the, the couple as they worked and, and how they were able to raise their two kids from home while they worked in this back studio was, was really appealing to me. Um, but then in my later co-ops, because I had two more of those work experiences, I, I wanted to get a different experience. So I worked at a large firm, you know, 60 plus people doing, you know, data centers and banks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, although the people and the atmosphere was great, it really didn't appeal to me in terms of the type of projects that I was doing and the lack of connection that I had with clients in the finished project. And and um, this was in the mid-2000s, so 2006, 2007. Um, most of the projects that I worked on didn't get built and uh, because of you know the economic downturn after right. that. And uh, that really, working for two to three years on a project and never seeing it completed it was, you know, was difficult, um, you know, to invest that amount of time. How, how important do you think it was for you to go into that? You know, after experience with that smaller firm, with the residential, you got excited about that. You sort of started right. thinking maybe this is where I want to go. Mm -hmm. Then shifting into a totally different type of architecture, larger firm. How important do you think it was for you to do that, to make that step, even though you knew you wanted to be in a smaller firm? Incredibly important. Um, my dad had had told me early on that the great thing about working early on was that 
you find out just as much what you don't want to do as what you do want to do. And so, so having that experience, I really wanted to make sure that I didn't just do something and then just stick with that and never know what the alternative was. Um, and it was also a great way for me to fulfill a lot of my IDP requirements to work at a larger firm. They had more of a easier setup for me to be able to, to go through that stuff. Um, so the, so the great thing was that I, I graduated with, uh, like 26 months of full-time experience, um, when I graduated, um, which was fantastic because I graduated, uh, with my undergraduate went directly into my master's. So it's kind of like a five, five plus one, uh, kind of deal with my undergraduate to a graduate. Um, and then, so I got my master's and graduated, um, in 2009. Um, and as you expect, that was a terrible time to graduate. Uh, and look for an architecture job. Yeah. Um, so uh, also during that time, I had a, a professor at school who uh, I was kind of tired of of New England, uh, growing up there and and going to school there, and I, I wanted something different. And um, I had a professor who um, worked out in Phoenix and um, got me really interested in the architecture of some of the modern architects out here and what they're doing. And, that excited me, and so I actually, you know, did some a lot of research and decided to just move after I graduated um, without a job. Uh, never been to Phoenix. I'd been close, you know, I've been to L.A. and Vegas and some of those places, and um, I decided that it was going to be a change of pace for me. And you know, packed my car and drove across the country, and you know, had some connections based on my professor with who he worked with out here, um, but nobody was hiring. Um, and at that time is when I met uh, my partner and uh, now wife, Claire. Um, and uh, she was also just finished college and was looking for jobs and was considering going back to school to get an MBA. Um, and so we started, uh, you know, during the early parts of our relationship, one of the things that we did was we just traveled a lot around Arizona, just in, in the car to old, um, you know, old towns and different places and just trying to experience the culture because that was something that I always – uh, interested in me growing up as my parents were really interested in history. Uh, so they would take us to all the, you know, Gettysburg and all the colonial things in New England and all the old homes and the homes of the old writers and, um, you know, that are around Boston and that kind of stuff. And, we, we could be brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're describing my mom too. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's, uh, so that was something that was always part, you know, all of our family vacations were kind of had that component to right. it. Yeah. And uh, so that was always something of interest to me. And um, so we, I started doing it with my wife, who's a native of Phoenix. And, you know, she uh, got the opportunity to also kind of discover more of her state. Um, How did and, you guys meet? If, if you so were, we if met you, through. I, uh, yeah, oh, sorry. Um, we met through a mutual friend. She went to college in the University of Colorado at Boulder. And uh, my best friend from Connecticut went to school and uh, knew her there. And then when I moved to Phoenix, he got transferred here for a job and we lived together and um, she was moving back home. So, uh, you know, he said, this is my friend from Colorado. And, you know, so. And was it just a coincidence because she's an architect as well? She's not an architect. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was just a, yeah, it was just a coincidence that we sort of met just yeah. a mutual friend um, and uh, both unemployed at the time. So had a lot of free time and we're just, you know, trying to get jobs and, yeah. So, um, 
So that's actually segues nicely into how we came up with the name The Ranch Mind. So yeah. we were traveling around Arizona because we wanted to know more of the history, and we would go to literally ranches and mines, which a lot of the state uh, economy relied on when it was becoming a state was ranching and mining. Um, and so that plus, you know, at that time we were looking at the down economy and, you know, perhaps purchasing a home to fix it up. Um, uh, so, cause the home prices were incredibly low at the time. So we thought, you know, rather than paying both paying rent and that kind of thing, maybe we could buy a home and fix it up. And, you know, so, um, at that, so they're all mostly ranch houses in the area. And so we thought of it as mining ranch houses. So going in and discovering the hidden gems, similar to a mining process of sifting through all of the, the clutter that's accumulated over the years and really finding the gem within these ranch homes. So so we wanted to have a name that sort of harkened back to the, the history of Arizona and located us in this place, but also had a little bit of a duality to it. So did you ever work for somebody else in Phoenix or did you? Uh, right briefly, into- really yeah. briefly. I did kind of like a month with a firm because, you know, they had a little bit more work and I did um, uh, some uh, sort of independent contracting with small architects who would get a job and needed some help. And and I was able to, over that year or so, finish up my IDP hours, mm-hmm. um, which was incredibly helpful uh, for me. So you were in survival mode, essentially. And, yeah. And, and you, you did you establish the firm as a firm while you were working for other yeah, people? Yeah, so we, we purchased a home, yeah. a very inexpensive home, um, foreclosure. And um, at that point, we decided to establish an LLC really early on. Um, we were still apl- both applying to jobs at the time. We didn't really think of it as a, this is going to be a long-term solution, right. more of a short-term thing. Um, but uh, it sort of picked up after that. Yeah. So, so you bought that first house and that was sort of the beginning of the ranch mine. Mm-hmm. And so how did it evolve into the award-winning firm that it is today? Sure. Um, so we did that. And um, her father, who had recently retired, was looking to invest in some homes. Um, and he was impressed with with what we had done with, with our home with such little amount of money and decided, you know, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a home or two and fix them up and, and, and sell them or rent them out. Um, and so we did that we did that with one other home and, um, I, I sent, uh, that home into the paper, um, to see if it could get published. And, um, they said, we can't publish homes that are for sale or for rent. Um, but we looked at your website, I put together a crude website and we liked our home that, uh, our, they liked our bathrooms. It said, we're doing a story on bathrooms that are inexpensive. Was your bathroom inexpensive to do? And we said, yeah, it was like $2,500. Uh, and um, sh- they said, oh, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, within a month, we were on the front page of the Arizona Republic, which is the um, main newspaper. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Arizona's New York Times. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, that's, so, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's how it re- kind of... Uh, got kicked off. And so when you did these these homes where you bought homes, fixed them up and sold them, mm-hmm. were were you doing it with some design focus? Was the intent to take them take these little ranch rough, homes. rough mm-hmm. you know diamonds in the rough and sort of turn them into yeah. something really special and sell them at a premium because of the value of the design. Is that what you did? Yeah. So they were old homes typically 50s and 60s ish um that were just you know, 
completely out of date, didn't, you know, tiny little boxes. So a lot of ours is sort of opening it up and indoor outdoor living is a, is a big uh, proponent of, you know, what we do. And um, so, uh, yeah, that was sort of the focus early on. We were also physically doing a little bit of the labor at that time, um, which I'm glad we're not doing anymore. But um, so we did, we did that, but it was a great learning experience to, to get in and do it and figure out sort of, going from university, which is, you know, so intellectually focused and, you know, you, you never even really see the building, uh, to being in it every day was, was, it was a good experience for us. And, um, it worked out well. And once we did a few of those, we had other developers start to contact us to do some for them because they wanted to differentiate their product, uh, from the other flippers, uh, that were out there. So you were influencing the development market as well. So not only were you doing the work for yourself and, and right. build, essentially building your firm, mm-hmm. using your development as, as the product, right. um, showing that work, getting noticed mm-hmm. through publication. Mm-hmm. Now, then other developers start noticing. Right. They, they start hiring you. So you start influencing the, the development industry, showing that there's value in design. Mm-hmm providing uh, lots of uh, uh, showing that architects are worth their money, showing the right. value of an architect. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then, then I am assuming, and you can tell me if I'm right, you start getting noticed by homeowners who want that to happen on their homes. Exactly. Yeah. So then, then we started to get phone calls. Um, you know, can you do our bathroom? Can you do our kitchen? And it started to grow. Oh, now can you do our living space? Can you... You know, and so it started from just doing bathrooms to bathrooms and kitchens to, oh, you know, open floor plans, opening up homes to then wanting additions and, and, and eventually into new builds and now, you know, also single family attached and, and multifamily. So it started just kind of slowly uh, grew from that with a mixture of almost 50-50 working with developers as well as custom homeowners. How important do you think it was to that first publication? Oh, incredibly important. Um, you know, we didn't have a network here. I wasn't. I wasn't from here. Claire wasn't um, in the architecture or uh, any community similar to that. Um, yeah, I mean, when we when we got that first publication, we had like a, a you know, a, I forget maybe a small WordPress website, some sort of very basic thing. I had some renderings from college up on there. Um, and, uh, you know, we started getting phone calls when she was actually on a trip down the Grand Canyon and had no cell service. And, you know, I got a little post-its and I'm writing down people's numbers. <laughs> I have no, you know, we don't have a contract. We don't have business cards. We don't have anything in place to, to, to deal with. Uh, we didn't expect, uh, it to come. And, you know, the first thing it's published, we're getting 10, 15 phone calls of people wanting to hire us. And we don't, you know, the pro- procedure of how to set up meetings or right. you know what to charge or how to write contracts and so from there it was just sort of a trying to catch up game yeah yeah but it it, it um it sounds like it it could be perceived as very um lucky or mm-hmm. you know happenstance but in right. fact it wasn't it was right. it was very intentional that you you saw that the economy was not working mm-hmm. there was no job market so you created right. your own jobs you right. bought this this house did the work, flipped it, then intentionally called the newspaper and said, hey, are you interested in looking at right. this house? Mm-hmm. Got noticed by by the newspaper for something else, mm-hmm. pursued that and continued, you know, and so 
um, every step of the way, it was plan, small little victories, take action, build right. upon that success and just keep doing that. Right. And, you know, that's, I think, something I learned early on. You know, I mentioned earlier that's really to sports is, you know, early on learned that, you know, it's not about all about luck or talent. You know, there's so much strategy and preparation and execution that goes into when you get that opportunity, you have to execute. And then you have to sort of analyze how well you executed and then adapt And because the game is always changing. And, and so, you know, it all built up to that moment. And then, you know, once we got that publication, then there was another game of, okay, how do we deal with these 10 phone calls that are coming in a single day and we don't have any business, right? And so that's a new thing that I'd have to, you know, strategize for, prepare for, you know, and then execute those jobs. to. How, how did you do next. that? I mean, if you get 10 calls in one day and you're not yeah. prepared for any calls, yeah. how did you, how did you um, just, just sort of winged it and sort of- Yeah, pretty much. I, I was just winging it, setting up meetings. Um, you know, I didn't even have a calendar or anything. I was just writing down stuff on uh, a post-its. And um, like I said, I couldn't even get in touch with Claire because she was off the grid. Um, until she got back because she had a bunch of voicemails from me like, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we just set up a bunch of meetings and then went and it just kind of, I had had that experience at that residential firm, you know, in, in college. And so I was witness to how they dealt with clients uh, and homeowners and, you know, going into people's homes because it's a very, um, as you know, personal experience. Right. So I had sort of witnessed that um in my prior experience. Um, so I think that was very helpful. Um, and I also think it's helpful to be, uh, have a male and a female involved. Um, it's, you know, to have that connection, we, we, we've been able, I think to, I think it's a lot easier than just myself going into a home as, as, as a male to have that female component to it and so be able you, to you interview together. We interview together. We still do today. Um, every single, every single job we go and we, we interview together. Um, and we like to be able to talk to both the husband and wife at the same time. And then we often break off and find out what they individually uh, are interested in not talking in front of each other. And I, and I think it's a great way to really get deep into what, what they want. And then we sort of synthesize it back at home in a safe space um, and avoid any sort of conflict. <laughs> right. That's a great strategy and, and uh, a differentiator. You know, it's something that when they're interviewing other architects, they're remembering that. They're seeing right. that uh, additional attention that they got and the, and the different personalities and the connections that you made. Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely differentiating you from other firms. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to FreshBooks for their support as a platform sponsor of Entree Architect. Because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our overall mission here at Entree Architect, they recognize the need for small firms like us to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy to use accounting software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time, and get paid faster. It takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, and it all happens out on the cloud so you have access to your information from anywhere that you have access to the internet. And I use FreshBooks for my own small firm, Fivecat Studio, and my favorite feature of the FreshBooks software is sending my invoices by email and allowing my clients to pay by credit card. 
When FreshBooks says that you'll get paid faster, they're not kidding. With the convenience of clicking a button and paying by credit card, many of my clients pay now as soon as they receive their invoice. And for those clients who don't pay right away, FreshBooks automatically sends them a reminder of the balance due at an interval that I set. So once I send an invoice, I can go back to being an architect and I don't need to chase down any of my clients. And Tim Lee of FreshBooks will show you how easy it is to send invoices by email on our exclusive video series, Tim and I produced exclusively for the Entree Architect community. Check out this free video series at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video. There's no catch, there's no email, it's completely free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video and you will get the videos right away. There's three of them. Shows you everything you need to know about getting started. And then go to freshbooks.com slash architect, freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up for your free 30 day trial and give it a try. It's free. I suggest you just send one invoice and see what happens. That's how I got started. Just send one invoice to one client and see how it works. And when I did that and I got paid much faster than usual, I signed up for the rest of it and I set up my whole my whole account in FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com slash architect for your free 30-day trial. And be sure to enter Entree Architect into how did you hear about us section. Obviously, you learned your lessons well because if you go to theranchmind.com, mm -hmm. um, you'll see some great work and a really, really well put together website. Simple, but it's, hey. but that's what I like about it is that mm -hmm. it, it's, it tells you everything you want to know very quickly and, uh, and in a really well laid out manner. Thanks. Um, how are you getting noticed today? What are some of the marketing strategies that you're using now? I noticed that you're on... You've had some work published in Architectural Record, Dwell. Mm -hmm. You've been on HGTV. Mm -hmm. So so you've come a long way since that yep. first project. What are some of the strategies that you're using now to get, get noticed like that? Sure. Um, so, yeah, most of our, our work comes from uh, online people, people contacting us after seeing our work online. We have had, because we haven't, because we're relatively young, we don't have a referral network of people that have discretionary money to spend on homes. You know, most of our, uh, you know, people our age are still paying off college loans and that kind of stuff and aren't really in the market for you know, our target market of, you know, who we're working with. So we don't really have that network of people. So we had to really find a way to get our work out online so that, you know, we get most of our uh, work from just random people who don't know who we are. Um, and just find us from our work and our website. Um, so early on, it was you know publications. We find online online publications incredibly helpful because um, not only do they link back to your website as opposed to a magazine or something where there's an extra step, um, but then all the keywords and all that kind of stuff is really helpful in, in getting traffic uh, to our website. Um, so do you find it also easier to get published online rather than it, I think it, I think it is easier I think there are more opportunities to get published online um, and they're always looking for new content right. um, and so if you can make that easy for them and if you have a different view on things or a different um, types of projects that you're working on I, I think that's uh, it's great um, for online publication and, and, and it really allows people to connect. Uh, with you and because they start to see what you're talking about and say hey that relates to me and, and it's more of a direct connection than just showing photos online 
which a kitchen is a kitchen, and then it's just up to style preference, right? Um, so we were very early on house. Um, we had a friend who was redoing their homes. Have you seen this website? Um, and at the time we hadn't. And so that weekend, you know, spent probably 20 hours getting our house profile and all our photos set up and all that kind of stuff. And being really early as an adopter and those kind of things, it's super helpful um, because your photo ads go up and there's less competition at the time. And so that was very helpful. And we get a ton of leads from house. Um, Instagram recently has been really great. We were doing a lot on Facebook, but then Facebook sort of set up all of those things where it barely shows your work to anyone unless you pay. Right. Um, and we've done no paid for advertising. Um, and so Instagram has been great because it allows us, you know, it's very image heavy, but it still allows you to say a little something yeah. that, that people will read. Um, so that's been, um, been helpful for us. And Have you done any work on Pinterest? No, because early on, um, House had a thing where you could get higher up in their search rankings if you didn't go with competitor websites. So because we were one of the earlier people on it, they said, hey, we'll give you a boost if you know you don't go on these websites with more than right. five photos. So they wanted an exclusive. Exactly. If you, you committed to that exclusive, they'd boost you. Yeah, and we and we loved the platform because on Pinterest we kept seeing our work on Pinterest not related back to us and from all these different websites and it didn't have that direct lead that House has and it wasn't specific to the the people that we wanted to reach. Um, so we sort of invested our time heavily um, and resources into into that. What is the 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 number one way of people getting to your website? Are they still coming through House or is yeah, it's House. So mm -hmm. no, what about Google searches? Are, are you seeing We're that? very high on Google searches. We're starting to get really high on there recently. We've mm -hmm. noticed because we ask everyone who contacts us, you know, how do you find out about us? And more and more, it's actually becoming Google searches. Uh, for a long time, houses almost exclusively where we were getting uh, interest or from an article that they saw. Um, but yeah, now Google searches is getting a lot higher and we're getting, you know, two to three uh, inquiries a week. Um, and so it's, it's, it's worked out pretty well. So how is, is your primary Google searches are, are big and that's mm -hmm. the Google searches happen from, from being linked back. Essentially right. you have a lot of content that have yep. specific keywords on your site. You have other sites linking back to your site, giving your site credibility. Right. Uh, that's called SEO search mm -hmm. engine optimization that when you hear that SEO, that's what that means. Basically you're optimizing your website to, um, to be recognized by Google and other search engines. And that's how you do that. Um, but it, so I would say it, from what it sounds like, it's mostly social leading, leading well, social, including house mm -hmm. being a social site, uh, linking back to the ranch right. uh, And then them contacting you from the website. Is it typically the process? Yeah. So we have a forum on our website that has a bunch of basic questions so that we can sort of familiarize ourselves with, you know, the project location, uh, the, some basic stuff about the scope, budget, time frame, some some really basic things to be able to weed out um, projects that seem unrealistic early on or focus on projects that we want to, to get. Um, because like I mentioned, you know, getting two to three inquiries a week, uh, well, we've, we've tried to be very um, particular with the jobs that we take because as just two people and just one architect, um, 
we knew that being young, we wanted to build a portfolio where time is our most valuable resource because if we waste six months on a project that's not going to be a good project, that's not going to get published, that sets us back significantly in terms of if we had been working on a different project at that time. So we want to make sure that we're getting the projects that are going to lead to where we want to go um, and filter out the other projects. Do you have that planned and documented on, on who you are and what you are and where you want to go? You have that in a plan? Yes, we have that in a plan. We have, I so love, we have that. I love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have sort of, you know, goals. We kind of set every six months to a year or so where, you know, what we want to do that year, what we want to do following that and how we want to get there. Because, you know, like you said, we started with bathrooms, right? And now we're doing, you know, 10 unit plus projects. Um, so in a span of about five years or so. And so um, finding that pathway, knowing which projects can lead to the next project um, is something that we we do specifically. Um, and so we have, not only do we have that initial form that gives us that basic information, once we get that and we sort of filter through that and pick which ones we kind of want to find out more information, we send them three, four-page form to fill out with a lot more detailed questions. Um, so we're trying to get the buy-in from the client really early on and find out as much as we can uh, up front um, and not just the basic stuff like how many rooms do you want or whatever, but very personal questions, uh, focusing more on why they want to do it rather than what they want. Because we found that if we can get to why they want to do this, then our job is to do the, the how and the what. And so we, we really want to find out and get really personal with them early on. Um, and the people that are sort of hold back from that typically aren't the good clients, you know, the people that invest in the process always seems to be better. So it's another filtering system. Um, and it allows us to really get to what criteria that we have that would make a good job for us to then get to the next step. So are you doing all that filtering online before you even meet with a client? Correct. Yeah. So and, Claire, and mostly, Claire, and mostly not even a contact, it's all automated. There, there's a there. phone call. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, that's mostly what Claire does. Um, a good portion mm -hmm. is automate that system. So the first part is very automated in terms of uh, they contact us and we get an email with all that kind of stuff. Uh, then she set, she sets up a phone call and has a quick five-minute phone call to get some basic information because sometimes people don't write what they want well. They can speak a little bit better about it. So we want to make sure that we're not just you know turning someone off because they didn't right well um, and then she in that phone call says I will be sending you what's your email I'll, I will be sending you um, this form to fill out and then once you fill it out and we review it we can set up a time to meet in person if the project is something that we're interested in pursuing interesting okay and so you make you set that expectation right up front that they're 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 essentially you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you correct yeah that if you want to work with with us, you, you fill out this form, then you fill out this questionnaire. And mm -hmm. if, if we all fit, then we take the next step and we have this right. meeting, which is great because now you're not wasting a whole bunch of time meeting with people that don't fit. Exactly. Uh, anybody you're meeting with is somebody who potentially is going to be one of your projects. Right. And at that time, we've had multiple points of contact with that person. I was starting to develop a relationship before we even meet them. Um, and it gives them something where we can see how they're going to work with us, how willing they are to fill out that form. Some people refuse to fill out three pages of a form that are basic questions 
that's not going to be a good relationship. Yeah. And we found that out really early rather than going through uh, an hour long site visit and writing up a contract proposal and all that kind of stuff and getting into the heat of it, it, it it's a nice way to figure out how uh, collaborative they are early on. Yeah, I love systems like that, that that the actual document isn't necessarily, although it's helpful, right. the actual document, the information that the document is collecting is not always the most important thing. It's, it's how that document is received uh, and completed and returned on how that how that works. Right. How quickly they, they yeah. respond and how well they write out their their intentions. And yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. If anybody wants to see that initial form, it, it's uh, right on the website, theranchmind.com slash contact. That's the first mm -hmm. initial contact yep. that sends them automated system that sends them the information. It's more than just names and emails. It's all those initial questions that they have. Right. Mm -hmm. um, really interesting stuff. And then you you meet with them, and um, I also want to talk a little bit about about branding because mm -hmm. uh, you have a great marketing system. You have this social media strategy that sort of leads people into your website. You get to your website. Another system that is set up to sort of uh, filter out to get to the right projects. Mm -hmm. Your architecture itself is very you know unique. Uh, mm -hmm. and something that, that I would say that when you see it, you potentially could say, oh, that's a ranch mine house. Right. Um, that's all part of your brand. Right. How, in how intentional is your brand? Uh, and what are you doing to sort of tell that story of that brand? Sure. Um, so it's very intentional, um, even from the start of the kind of projects that we want to do. So we knew early on, um, you know, our interests and where the sort of, the market was, or we sort of analyzed where the market was headed, which we felt was, you know, moving in from the suburbs into the central city. Um, and what's in the central city is the older housing stock. So the historic homes, and the mid-century homes, and sort of the rings as the city was built out over time. Um, and those happen to line up with, you know, like I mentioned early on, our passions for history and, and character and place and context. So we knew early on that that would be something that you know, we were both interested. She grew up in a mid-century home in central Phoenix, knew the area very well. I had a heavy interest in history and those kind of things. But we also knew that what we wanted to do was modern architecture. So we sort of said, hey, why not do both, right? So, and find a niche in that market because we found that people wanted to live in that location and have some of that character, but they also wanted modern lifestyles, you know. Uh, they didn't want to live in little boxy rooms and, you know, have the, you know, tiny kitchen. They wanted still the modern amenities, but they wanted to find a way to put it into a historic or mid-century neighborhood or envelope. Um, so early on, we specifically took those kind of jobs, even if they weren't necessarily the best paying or, you know, the highest budgets or what have you, because we knew we needed that kind of portfolio, again, to get to the better versions of those. Did you pass up any other projects that may have been good projects, but didn't fit that target market? Yes. Uh, we've passed on a lot of projects. Um, we've passed on a lot of sort of your typical Spanish Tuscan new build home out in, out in the desert somewhere. And, you know, we passed on a lot of those kind of projects um, or people who wanted to confine us to a box that weren't open to the process. Um, those are typically the ones that we pass on because we want to incorporate them and how they live and their style, 
but through our process. So if, if someone early on is like, you know, no, this is how I do it. And this, you know, those kind of people, no, thank you. We'll pass on that because we wanted to make sure that we had a great relationship with the client uh, because we found that those would lead to better projects. Um, so yeah, we specifically chose those kind of projects with the right kind of clients early on. Um, and um, so that was specifically targeted for, uh, not only those kind of homes, but where the market was going um, and where the opportunity was. So it was kind of a little bit of both. Um, you know, if those homes were where we saw, you know, younger people or downsizing baby boomers wanting to go, we probably wouldn't have gone that way. But it's just sort of the trend that we saw happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we sort of saw that, we started targeting all of our social media towards being experts and and talking about those kind of things, getting involved with historic preservation and and um, you know being involved in that community and um, speaking at conferences or that kind of stuff and and we've you know with every photo we find that there's an opportunity to explain something um, of what we're doing it and but not only just what but why we're doing it and it starts to increase. Um, uh, the understanding of the general public and, and what they want, because we saw early on that when working with developers, that uh, our competition really isn't other architects. You know, architects do so little in the built environment. I mean, there's obviously the competitors in the residential space of just contractors or realtors or interior designers or what have you, but also people just not hiring architects, just moving or, you know, doing other things that we've saw like, there's a massive amount of the market who's doesn't like their home. So they just say, Oh, you know, I'm going to decide to move. And then they're spending 6% on real estate costs and closing costs and all that kind of stuff that would just pay for an architect to make their home exactly what they want it to be and not have to uproot their family and such. So we started looking at those kind of things and saying, can we get a story across that connects with those people who normally wouldn't even think about hiring anyone and would just move to a home um, and typically, there's no really move-in ready home. Everyone wants to tweak a little bit of something, whether and they want to fix up their home before they sell it. So they're spending money on the front end, they're spending money on the back end, when they could really just get what they want. So those were sort of the areas that we targeted early on, was people just not even considering architects, rather than trying to fight over the two percent of homes or whatever that the architects work on. Yeah, I, the uh, the brand is really strong, and I just heard you say that you that you. That you told a story that you mm-hmm. that you intentionally crafted a story about what the rent the ranch mine is, what mm-hmm. you do, the type of work you do, the type of client you work with, what the results of working with you will, will be. You've you've crafted that story. You know that story well, mm-hmm. and in everything you're doing through social media, through the website, through the contact you have with people, through the meetings, through your architecture, you're telling mm-hmm. that same consistent story that you've that you've you've focused in on a very specific target market. You've developed a brand and a business that serves that target market, and you've developed a story that then uh, that fulfills the, the the brand promise that you've established right. at the ranch mine. Right. Exceptional. It's a great model to, to follow, um, and it's a great model for uh, I, clearly it works because when you look at your website, that's what it tells you. It tells you that's. I love your tagline. Your tagline is: "We design homes to honor the past, challenge the norm, and inspire the future." And that, you know, in a tag, mm-hmm. that says it all, that, that you're honoring the past, you have this interest in history, mm-hmm. that you're challenging the norm, you're doing things that are completely different. You know, they're still ranch homes, but they're completely different. Right. And you're, you're designing modern architecture, you're inspiring right. the future with your, with your architecture. Mm-hmm. 
I love it. Oh, thanks. It's really, uh, really interesting, really successful. I hope people go and see uh, theranchmind.com and see what you're doing there. Uh, Kevin, I really appreciate you spending some time with us here today at the Entree Architect podcast. No, thanks for having me. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, is, is there anything else you want to sort of mention before we wrap things up here? Um, not really. Um, okay, I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. I have. This is something I've started the last couple, maybe three episodes. I wanted to ask everybody a question and see what your answer is. And, and I think that it'll be pretty easy for you. Uh, what is the one thing that small firm architects can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And it could be something simple or it could something right. be, it could be something profound. What can they like take action on today sure. to move forward? I would say very simply, um, write down a list of your personal and professional inspirations, what you enjoy, what you're inspired by, uh, write down that list. And then next to it, write down a list of any critiques that you have with your area, with your city, with your town, with the built environment. And then sort of look at a way, is there some way that we can connect the personal and professional interests with what the market is having issues with, and then start, once you sort of synthesize that and find you know some sort of commonality between it, because I think once you do that, you and you know your entire life has been unique to everyone else, that you are uniquely set up because of those personal interests and professional interests to be the best in that specific market for your specific area at this specific time. And then start sort of curating your social media to lead towards it. You know, if you're going to get the kind of jobs that people see, I think it's very difficult as an architect sometimes because we're working on stuff that's no one's going to see for a year plus. And we think that's where we are, but it's not where people see us, right? So finding a way to project where you are to the general public and get them on that train moving forward and and have it go in that direction that you want it to go, which is your personal and professional interests combined with what does your local market really need. And if you can do that, I think that'll get you sort of in, in the right direction at least. That's great advice. Great, great answer to that question. Um, TheRanchMine.com uh, yep. on Facebook, Facebook.com, mm -hmm. TheRanchMine, Twitter, mm -hmm. TheRanchMine. Mm -hmm. um, Instagram, the Ranch Mine official. Yeah, someone, uh, someone took the Ranch Mine and ranch took our logo, mine. and I don't know what they were doing, but yeah, uh, yeah the Ranch Mine official on Instagram, so the, which is where we post most of our stuff. Yeah, and then uh, how is it the same thing? House.com slash the Ranch Mine. Yep. Okay, excellent, Kevin. This has been great. It's some, some really great value uh, for the community here. Um, really, really excited to see where you guys go next. Thanks, Mark. I'll be uh, following you on social, and uh, and it will bump into you in Orlando. Hope you're gonna. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks for coming. All right. Thanks, Mark. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitects.com/episode138. I love this episode. I love the story that Kevin gives about building this firm and using the story that he's that he's created. To, to succeed and to do the work that he loves, to design modern architecture. How many of us wish we could just 
design beautiful modern architecture. Well, Kevin here has given us the formula. He's given us the formula. So check that out. Entree Architect Academy. I want to talk about Entree Architect Academy today, Friday, September 27th. It is the last day you can join in open enrollment. It's closing the doors tonight at midnight. So if you're listening to this past midnight, Friday, sorry, time's up. But if you're here, if it's this morning and this afternoon and you want to join us, now's the time to get over there. It's an educational program with monthly business training from top experts teaching us what we need to know to live the life we've dreamed. It's a thriving community of passionate, supportive, small firm entrepreneur architects, just like you. That's what I want. I want you to succeed. I want you to live the life of your dreams. Enrollment for Entree Architect Academy is closing tonight. Come join us and build a better business. I know this works. I have 100 members in this academy, and they love being there. EntreeArchitect.com for more information. Come join us. Give it a try. EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go find the work you want so you can live the life you love. Love, learn, and go share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.
calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.